Hey guys, what's up English 11? Okay, so if you've been listening all week, um, I want to talk about um, something that I really haven't talked about yet, and that is Nick and Gatsby. So I've gotten a couple questions about Nick and Gatsby. One of the questions on your sheet was like, how does Nick feel about Gatsby? And that is really tough to tell from the first couple pages, but I actually want to read that part out loud. The other thing I want to talk about is some people have talked to me about the difficulty of this book in terms of it's really difficult to understand. And I will say, I think the first 10 pages are pretty tough, but once you get an understanding of um, the plot and the characters, the rest of the book, at least I think so, like the beginning of chapter two, um, there's like a bit more happening, I guess, and not so much backstory. So if if you've been discouraged by the difficulty of the reading, I would really encourage you to listen to the podcast. I break a lot of things down. Um, I really make sure I read a lot of it out loud. The other thing that you can maybe do is try an audiobook. And I'll, I think that I have another website for an audiobook if you guys are interested. So let's flip to, in my book, it's going to be just the second page. And, um, this is a big paragraph that I think we'll probably spend most of the episode on. Hi, Kaiman. Um, okay. So it says after, and after boasting this way of tolerance, I come to the admission that it has a limit. Okay. I just want to warn you this chapter or this paragraph is hard to understand, but we're going to get through it. Conduct may be founded on the hard rock or the wet marshes, but after a certain point, I don't care what it's founded on. When I came back from the East last autumn, I felt that I wanted the world to be in uniform and at a sort of moral attention forever. I wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. So this is actually a key sentence. He says, when I came back from the East last autumn, I felt that I wanted the world to be in uniform at a sort of moral attention forever. So what he's saying is he's telling the whole story in past tense. And if you saw the movie that was made a few years ago, it makes that really clear that he's like telling someone this story of this crazy summer. What he's saying here really briefly is even though he left to go live in New York city in the summer of 1922, in the fall of that same year, he had to come back to the Midwest When he says, when I came back from the East, meaning like when I left New York City and came back from New York City, he said that he wanted no more, quote, riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. So things start off kind of calm in the very beginning of the book, but they get crazy pretty quickly. And and that is alluded to right here in chapter one. Okay. Um, Then he goes on to say, Only Gatsby, the man who gives his name to this book, was exempt from my reaction. So Nick says, I had this really crazy experience in New York City, and it made me want to come back home. But then he says, only Gatsby, the man who gives his name to this book, was exempt from my reaction. Meaning he was not included in that reaction. So Nick experienced something in New York City and wanted to come home. But Gatsby wasn't a part of that reaction. Okay, let's keep going. 
Gatsby, who represented everything for which I have an unaffected scorn. Mm-hmm. What does that phrase mean, unaffected scorn? I don't know. If we were in class, I would definitely have us chop up this phrase a little bit. Because I know what you're thinking as the reader. You're like, um, you're like, if I could only know what that phrase meant, it would unlock the whole thing. Well, we know scorn means like a feeling of contempt. And I'm sure you're thinking, what does the word contempt mean? But it's when you like have a, uh, I don't want to say disrespect, but it's like you have a disdain for something. You're probably thinking, what does disdain mean? We want to think like you, um, yeah, you don't really respect a person, but he says that his scorn is unaffected. So what does that mean? I don't know. I'm, I'm right. I'm Googling the phrase unaffected scorn. This is the only place. Okay. So unaffected means not influenced. Scorn means a very strong feeling of no respect. So he has, right? It's like he doesn't disrespect Gatsby. Okay. Then he says, if personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about him. Let's pause and read that again. If personality is, is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about him. And that is like a confusing but really beautiful sentence about Gatsby. He's the man in so many ways. And he does have a series of, of successful gestures, and you'll get to see that up close. Then he goes on to say, then there was something gorgeous about him, some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away. Okay. So then he says this responsiveness, and I think that's a good word for Gatsby. Like, first of all, there's a word here that says he had a heightened sensitivity to the promises of life. And remember, a big theme in this book is the American dream. And that's really Gatsby's whole thing, is that he is a big dreamer. He dreams in a way that is, um, I don't know, it's kind of unimaginable. Or he, he like works in a way that it makes him, I don't want to say cartoonish, but it makes him grand. It makes him great. Then it says, this responsiveness had nothing to do with that flabby impressionability, which is distinguished under the name of creative temperament. It was an extraordinary gift for hope. So he's saying Gatsby had an extraordinary gift for hope, a romantic readiness such as I have never found in any other person and which it is not likely I shall ever find again. So these are two really important qualities of Gatsby. He says that he had an ex Gatsby had an extraordinary gift for hope and he had a romantic readiness. Once you meet Gatsby and understand more about him, Hopefully I'll remember those two word, those two phrases and we can come back to it. But what you need to know as the reader at this moment is that you don't have any of like the details as to why Nick feels this way, but you're going to get those details. But you want to start to think about like this question based on this description. How does, how does Nick seem to feel about Gatsby? He just spent like the whole previous page talking about how he doesn't judge people, but 
then it sounds like he sometimes gets really bored by people's stories. So wait, does he judge people? But he's saying Gatsby seemed to have a special place in his heart in that. I'm going to read it one more time. He had an extraordinary gift for hope, a romantic readiness such as I had never found in any other person, which is and which it is like not likely I shall ever find again. This guy's like a one in a million. And that's kind of what makes this story so great and so special is we meet this all these really unforgettable characters. And Tom is unforgettable in an annoying way. And Daisy is unforgettable kind of in a lot of ways. But Gatsby, like he is in so many ways the great Gatsby. And in so many ways, I I don't want to tell you anything else. Okay. But anyway, just know that like you're not supposed to have all the answers right now as a reader, but you are supposed to, we, we would be if we were in class, we would be doing this exact work. We'd be like, wow, this book is really hard. So what do we do? We, we reread it. We break it down sentence by sentence. Sometimes we even break it down phrase by phrase. Are we going to do that for the whole book? No. But is it valuable for us to do it for parts of the book? Like this part right here? Yes, very much so. And all of this is going to make us a stronger reader. That last part, maybe you don't believe, but I don't care. Okay. Then he says, no, Gatsby turned out all right in the end. I'm going to read that one more time. No, Gatsby turned out all right in the end. Okay. So again, like if we're trying to figure out how Nick feels about Gatsby, that, that's a good sentence to use. It is what preyed on Gatsby, what foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men. That part is a little more complicated. So he says, no, Gatsby turned out all right in the end. It was what preyed on Gatsby. So the word prey here is P-R-E-Y, and hopefully you know like predator and prey, like the thing that hunted Gatsby. Well, what, what was that? Well, we don't know yet. That's okay that you don't know. Then he says, what foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams. Hmm. Well, so he was a big dreamer, but there was there was some foul dust in the wake of his dreams. And by wake, you want to picture like a boat going down a river, right? And the the wake is the waves the boat makes behind it. So there's Gatsby and he's got this big dream, but there's something foul behind the dream. Anyway, okay. What foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporary closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men. So something happened with Gatsby that made Nick want to leave New York City after this whole crazy summer. And that is the story that we're about to hear. Now, Fitzgerald, the author, can't show you all of his cards now, right? He doesn't want to tell you the whole thing. He's got to keep you interested. And the story is very complicated in the sense that Everybody has a secret. Every character has a secret. And that's why we love this story. Okay. <clears throat> um, hold on. Let me go to the very end. Um, wait, I don't want to say the very end. So he, he lives, remember, Nick lives next door to Gatsby on their side of the bay. And then at the very end of the chapter, I know this is the third night I've talked about this, but hold on, let's... Let's get to that moment. At the very, at the very end of the chapter, we get a, another little glimpse of Gatsby when he's standing with his arms stretched toward the water in a curious way. And he's he like think about how weird that would be to come across a man with his hands, his arms stretched forward, like toward the water. 
Um, and then he's looking at this green light. So the mystery of Gatsby is starting to unfold and that's what's going to happen in chapter three and for a while in the book. Okay. Um, for the last part of the episode, I want to read you guys. I want to get you ready for chapter two because that's what we, that's what we're going to work on next week. Okay. About halfway between, this is the beginning of chapter two, about halfway between West Egg and New York, the road, the motor road hastily joins the railroad and runs beside it for a quarter mile so as to shrink away from a certain desolate area of land. Okay, this part's weird. This is the Valley of Ashes, a fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens, where ashes take the forms of houses and chimneys and rising smoke, and finally, with the transcendent effort of men who move dimly and are already crumbling through the powdery air. Occasionally, a line of gray cars crawls along an invisible track, gives out a ghostly creak, and comes to rest. And immediately, the ash gray men swarm up with leaden spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud, which screens their obscure operations from your sight. So one setting is New York City. That's where Nick is going to work. Daisy and Tom, they live in this amazing uh, mansion, and they live on... East egg. Um, Gatsby is going to live on West egg. And then our third really important, I don't even know what number I'm on fourth, maybe. Um, another really important setting is what, what you just heard me read, which is a place called the Valley of ashes. Fitzgerald calls it a fantastic farm where ashes grow, but it's not a literal farm at all, but you want to picture this as a kind of a, a gross part of town, right? It's the Valley of ashes. First of all, think valley like we're going down into someplace. And you want to think ashes like everything's gray. And we get these allusions to these powdery men. And then it says they're, they swarm up with their leaden spades. So you want to think of these men as like working class men. Okay. Um, and it's like always dusty and gross. And we have a really big contrast with the setting that we were just in. Beautiful colonial mansion polo horses, ocean, green grass everywhere. And now we're in this like a, a valley. We're physically lower. This is the where the lower class people live. Okay, then I'm going to read one more paragraph. Above the gray land and the spasms of bleak dust, which drifted endlessly over it, you perceive after a moment the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. The eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg are blue and gigantic. Their retinas are one yard high. They look out of no face, but instead from a pair of enormous yellow spectacles, which pass over a non-existent nose. Evidently, some wild wag of an oculist, that's like a guy who makes glasses for people, studies eyes, set them there to fatten his practice in the borough of Queens, and then sank down himself into eternal blindness or forgot them and moved away. But his eyes, dimmed a little by the mainly many paintless days under sun and rain, brood over the solemn dumping ground. Okay. You want a picture and you're free to Google any of these images. The eyes of Dr. TJ Eckelberg are a billboard for, a, for an oculist. Okay. So above the Valley of Ashes is a billboard that really just looks like a giant set of eyes in glasses. Um, 
looking over the Valley of Ashes. Now, I want you to recall my last episode was on symbolism, and this is kind of like heightening my symbolism sense, right? If the author is going to take his time to construct this very detailed billboard, we should probably just continue to pay attention to it. So the Valley of Ashes, it's really low. It's gray, working class. You don't want to hang out there. And then above the Valley of Ashes is this worn, up, worn down billboard that's really just a big pair of glasses. And those two images are a little preview of what you're hopefully going to read next week. Okay. So guys, um, email me your questions. If you have them, I'm probably going to post a Google form on Monday to see how things are going for you. And then, um, yeah, ask me questions on Instagram, ask me questions wherever you want. And I'm here to help you. Let's keep reading. Have a great weekend.